to talk about how you were meant to be content. Some people believe that discontentment now in our world is a bigger problem than it's ever been in the history of uh, ever. So never before have so many people had so much and yet wanted to have so much more. And many sociologists believe that social media, of course, is a driver of that uh, discontentment because we look at other people's lives, anyway, you do, on social media, they look perfect, they're having a great time and all, but uh, you're seeing, you know, like the best filtered uh, image of them, uh, and you're comparing yourself to like their highlight reel of their life, and you can feel like a loser when you look at them, you're seeing the best of the best, and your life is like the worst of the worst. For example, heard about a couple moms talking about how they hated each other on social media. So there's the working mom, the stay-at-home mom. The stay-at-home mom uh, is, the, is the envy of the working mom because she has, she's posting all these perfect Pinterest pictures of the stay-at-home mom with all the perfect crafts and perfect little structured time with her kids. She's just grinding it out at work there. She's feeling so guilty looking at the pictures. Well, the stay-at-home mom hated the working mom, because she's thinking, man, you're out there in public, and you're doing things, and I've had my hair in a ponytail forever, and I haven't talked to an adult since 2019, and I would do anything to have your life there. And so the two moms were comparing and longing what the other has uh, when they were uh, uh, just at each other's throats in terms of the hatred for one another. You may relate to that, that you know you maybe you're a mom here, and, uh, or not, but uh, you're comparing yourself, and it's really hard to do. Um, I, I, um, I hear a lot of stories that I can't tell you right now, but maybe you're, you see on social media, somebody's going out to dinner, uh, maybe a date or something, like you'd like, to, you'd like to go out on a date, and there you are eating Jenny Craig or Lean Cuisine, while they're like having prime rib, a filet or lobster, whatever, and you just sort of kind of digest that there, or maybe... Uh, somebody posts a, so, a selfie uh, at the gym there, kind of working out, sort of buffed up and all there. And, and there you are at home eating famous Amos cookies uh, like they're going out of business, you know. So they're, you're going to keep them from going into bankruptcy. So anyway, but there's so much discontentment in today's world. And uh, all that to say this is we're living in a culture, we're living in a time that is absolutely permeated and, and, uh, and discontentment is pervasive in culture. And the real challenge is not just that, but the real challenge is not that we live in a society that is discontented, but that we face every day, that we face discontentedness in our own hearts, uh, in our own minds on a daily basis. We face discontentment with who I am, with what I am. How about a culture that has become discontented with our identity, and I don't like who I am? We're discontent with, uh, I don't like what I look like, my lot in light, my circumstances. We often think uh, contentment would be ours if we just had the fill in the blank. You're promoted to the new position. You made more money. You, you could buy the object or the toy. Uh, you'd be accepted in your circle of friends. You'd have more likes. And so we tend to think that we're going to be uh, content if we have a bigger whatever, bigger home, a better home, a nicer car, uh, a nicer salary, a new face, a new body. And some would say, uh, the reason that I'm not content is because I don't have 
relationship, or I'm not married, or I don't have a fulfilling job. If I had a more fulfilling job, I'd be content. I'm not content because of my life. If you only do my life, my life's a mess. If my life was just fixed, if my problems were not so significant, then I would be content. It can feel so elusive out there to be, to be content. And here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, we're going to see a man who found contentment and he had no reason whatsoever to be content. And he's going to go on to tell us the secret of contentment. Paul had nothing to be content about. He had no creature comforts that would uh, be consistent with contentment. So he's waiting a trial to find out if he's going to be acquitted or he's going to be beheaded. So he is one that could write to Timothy, his spiritual son, and say, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And so uh, if you have a meal inside of you, you got transportation to get here, clothes on your back, some form uh, of substance. So Paul is saying then to don't be looking over your shoulder and incessantly be complaining about what you don't have. Because contentment, we're going to see, is not based on what you have or what you don't have. Really, it's an issue of the heart. The contented life is a better life. So that's what we're going to talk about, that we are meant to be content. You want to stand to your feet, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 10, as I said, through verse 13. I'm going to read the even verses. I'm going to ask if you are able to stand that you would help read the even, uh, the odd verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. For I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. For I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Father, thank you that we're here. Thank you for everybody watching online. And we pray that as we come to your word uh, this morning, we ask your blessing. Uh, we thank you that it is powerful, that it's living, that it's active, that can change our hearts and lives and relationships and marriages. And we pray that... Uh, we would leave here impacted by, by your words. Father, I pray that we would hear the voice of God through the word of God. We ask this in Christ's name, and everyone agreed by saying, so meant to be content. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to talk about a few things. I'm going to talk about the setting here, the setting behind meant to be content. Then I'm going to talk about the secret of meant, how you're meant to be content, and then the significance of being content. You see, I hope that we could be equipped uh, as we leave here with a sense and understanding of how we can be on a pathway to contentment. So when God calls us to contentment, really, it's for your own good. It's for your own good. Even though as a nation, uh, as a culture, we're basically not content. But it's God's will that you would be content. God calls us to contentment because it's a better life. It's a better way of living. So really, you, you were not designed to live in, in a perpetual state of, of discontentment and always being at war on the inside. So what is contentment? Contentment then, really, it's a, it's a state of the heart. It's not a state of your, your accounting. Uh, it's not a feeling. It's really a knowing. It's knowing uh, based on faith in God and his word. It's a sense of being satisfied, a sense of, of well-being. 
Uh, so let me tell you what contentment is not. Contentment is not uh, a lack of complacency. Contentment is not a lack of ambition. Contentment is not escaping, escapist mentality, like you're escaping from the battle. It's not what contentment is. It's not pretending that things are okay when they're not. It's not pretending things are not right, or right when they're not. So it's not acting like you feel some way that you don't. Contentment is not being passive, just accepting you know, whatever comes your way. That's not contentment. Contentment is not uh, always being in the exact place that you want to be in life. So in order to understand the passage, though, I'm going to do the three things I talked about. I'm going to talk about the setting so we fully understand that, but then the secret of contentment and the significance of it. So the setting or the context is you got a real man. Like I'm standing here, I'm a real man. Paul was a real man, and he's in a, he's in a, a, a real moment uh, with a real church, a real community of Christ followers. So at the time of those words, he's in Roman prison, 800 miles away from Philippi. He's been incarcerated for preaching the gospel, the good news, in a hostile, dangerous environment. And there was, uh, he was certainly in a place where he never wanted to be, never thought that he would be. So Paul then is distanced from Philippi, and he's in house arrest, being chained to Roman soldiers 24-7. The church there at Philippi, 800 miles away, they love him. And Paul loves them. And so he's deterred, they were determined then to send someone to see Paul to check up on him. So they sent somebody named Epaphroditus, New Testament, kind of funny name. So anyway, they wanted to convey their love, affection, bring gifts and a financial gift, uh, and resource him. So Epaphroditus then delivers that. Well, Paul then is writing a thank you note, in part, back to them, verse 10, thanking them for their gift. And he begins to, th to thank them and to tackle the subject of their kindness with great tact in verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last, it's not like a jab, like, hey, I've been starving. You guys never did anything. And at last, no, it's not that kind of spirit that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to share it. So Paul is thanking the Philippian church for their incredible generosity and financial gift that they made an investment in him which could not be taken away from him. So this was their God-ordained opportunity for the church to be generous, and they were. Uh, they did it in multiple occasions. So they heard Paul was in jail, and they wanted to give him some substantial gifts uh, so that they would know they're thinking about him, they love him, how grateful that they are for him. Paul then is writing back, and in this letter, what he's saying is, hey, you know, y'all are amazing, and you know you need to know how amazing you are, how much I appreciate you, that you took advantage of the seasons of opportunity to make a difference in my life. So what I want to look at now in verse 11 is the solution to discontentment. So not that I was ever in need. In other words, not, not that I needed all the stuff you were giving me, for I have learned how to be content with whatever the circumstances. So Paul is saying that the real treasure in all of life is to learn how to be content. Notice he says, I learned. Wasn't born this way. I may have written two-thirds of the New Testament, but I have learned how to be content. There's incredible knowledge of God, incredibly spiritual man, 
in touch with God, uh, a man who is arguably one of the great Christians to ever live, an incredible mind. And the first thing he does is he says about contentment is that I had to learn it. Like it doesn't come naturally. And knowing this, that contentment doesn't come naturally. Like, for example, selfishness comes naturally. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like you, you, you're just naturally self. You're not naturally content, though. And you see this with kids, of course. Kids are playing. They, people say, oh, they look so content. Yeah, just until another kid walks in with a shiny toy, and they're no longer content. You know what I'm talking about? So, uh, but, uh, and boy, I'm so glad that we outgrow this. Aren't you? Aren't you glad you outgrow that? And so, but you have to teach a child how to share. You have to learn how to be unselfish. You have to learn how to be content. And so history proved again and again, the Philippian church, incredibly generous and all. So meant to be content. What Paul is saying, verse 11, learning is required. We need to learn how to, what? Well, we we need to learn how to think. Think biblically, think with the right mind, right attitude, right outlook. Our minds need to be renewed. So I have learned to be content. In other words, I have cultivated contentment in my own life. Nobody comes out of the womb content. So Paul encourages us because if the Apostle Paul had to learn how to be content, come on, somebody, don't you think you need to learn to be content too? In the tent? Yeah, okay. So it uh, doesn't naturally appear. It has to be learned over time. Learning to be content is something that sometimes needs to be relearned because things can capture your heart. And so you learn it gradually there. So contentment then is a, is a process. So how does it happen? How do you actually learn to be content? Well, the last thing I want to say about the Apostle Paul in understanding the setting and the one that spoke about contentment is someone that talked about his own situation in 2 Corinthians 11, where it's cataloged for us, his life is changed, like his bio. And his bio was that he experienced trials and tribulations. He said, I was severely beaten eight times. I was stoned to the point of unconsciousness and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. An entire night and day, I was adrift in the ocean. I faced false accusations and frequent rejection. At times, I went without adequate food, water, clothing, shelter. And again, all these things are cataloged there in 2 Corinthians 11. And then he says also, in addition to all of that, he said there was some painful physical affliction that he called his thorn in the flesh. The Greek word thorn points to a stake for impaling victims. So Paul is using a word, a metaphor to say that his affliction was excruciating. This is his background. He referred to a messenger of Satan. And he could be saying that God was allowing Satan. I mean, he was protected on one hand, but then uh, it says because of the revelation that he would get there, Satan nevertheless tried to kind of get him off track maybe and, and harass him there. But the pain was brutal and intense is what you pick up from the original language. And so maybe you identify with Paul. Maybe your life is difficult and intense and hard and all that. But yet in in spite of being battered and bloodied and bruised in the storms of life, Paul said, I've learned to be content. 
I'm telling you, friends, he's an expert on contentment. He had God's revelation that, uh, that inspired him to write these words here. So now that's the setting. I'm going to set that aside, and now I'm going to talk to you about the secret of his contentment, the secret of a contented life. Literally means the secret speaks of like a truth, but like kind of a hidden truth. And Paul is saying, I've been initiated uh, into this truth here. Paul tells us the secret of contentment in verse 12. If you want to look with me, look up on the screen. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He had, a, he had an experience in life that very few people have. Like he's seen the whole gamut of experience. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. So that's his, his story there of his life. Another translation reads, whenever my circumstance, whatever they are, I'm just as happy with little as with much. I found the recipe for being happy or content, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. So Paul said, I know. I know how to, to go really low. I've gone as low as you can go, and I know how to go high. And I've learned whether low or high, how to be content. So I can speak into the life of everyone about contentment. Paul says, I've learned literally by experience, abject, absolute poverty. And I also know absolute abundance. I know as a pendulum swings economically, I know both extremes. And he says here, the secret of contentment, it's not found in what you have. He said it is found in who you know. So Hebrews puts it this way. The author says in verse 5 of chapter 13, be content with such things as you have. Be content with such things as you have. For God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so when you have Christ in your life, this is what it's saying. Uh, and you have a relationship, a close relationship with him, spending time with him, getting to know him, then as that process unfolds, you can lean into and experience contentment because he is with you. More on that in, in a little bit. This is what David meant when he said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, that if you're in a place of always wanting, always craving, always having to have the next bigger whatever, the next better whatever, then what it's saying is really then have you embraced the Lord as your shepherd? Because the reality is if the Lord is your shepherd, you are not going to want like that. So contentment then is a state of the heart. Paul knows that even if you got every craving of your heart, you can still be discontent. I mean, I mean, just look at Hollywood. Like everything that they want, and they, their, their lives scream discontentment. And so Paul knows uh, the source of contentment. It's deeper than your circumstances. Just because you have everything, that's not enough. If you're without anything, that's not going to make necessarily difference either. And what it is really saying here is that discontentment in your life really is like a beacon of light, like a red light going off here that's pointing you, trying to point you to your creator. Because it's in him that you find ultimate contentment, knowing God and being in, in a right relationship with him. You see, in culture, we're so pragmatic, and that spills over, of course, in the church. And we always want like a three easy steps to contentment. 
Five steps, you know, that to a great marriage. And we always want to break it. Well, you can't do that here. There's no, like, just little steps to follow. Some of you believe that, yeah, but if I just had X, Y, or Z, then I'd be content. Well, like a new husband or new wife or relationship or a great job, uh, then I'd be content. Paul says, no, you wouldn't. Like, you won't be content. You can fill in your want list. You won't be content here. So you can have abundance, and you'll still be discontent. Because the source of contentment is deeper than our circumstances. Again, verse 12, I've learned the secret of being content. Watch. So as Paul is writing this, he has nothing in the way of creature comforts. Like zero. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. He's barely sustaining his life. And yet he says, I'm content. I want to talk to you about the secret. So in other words, in his life experiences were such that he had known what it was to be warm and to be fed. He knew what it was to be cold and naked. So Paul here, he's lived on both sides of the street, both sides of the fence. He's been in the penthouse. He's been in the, in the, the doghouse, the poorhouse, the outhouse. Like he, he knew that life too. Man, I know what it is. I know what it is to have a ribeye, and I know what it is to have top ramen. Like, I've lived there, done that, been there. So he knew that uh, what it was like to be well taken care of and not to be taken care of. See, Paul, uh, scholars believe, probably grew up in a wealthy home. Because he was tutored, he was under the tutelage of the great uh, New Testament scholar, Gamaliel, whose complaint about Paul was, the only thing that I can never do is get this guy enough books. So to be able to have that kind of relationship, get that kind of an education, you had to be from a wealthy family. So he knew what it was. I mean, when the church started here, he, he's experiencing the high life. Because Paul, uh, 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 not only was his family a prosperous family, uh, family in a Jewish community there uh, because the only the wealthy could afford education. But also when they start the church here, uh, Lydia, who's like a, uh, a high-end businesswoman that was wealthy, uh, she says, hey, Paul, like we can use a church. In fact, Paul, you know, anything you want, come and enjoy the house here, nice house by the river. And so uh, she became a follower of Jesus. And her immediate response was, hey, guys, everybody come over to the house. So now Paul, you know, they got matching, they got mints on the pillow and matching towels and all that stuff and nice soaps and everything. And all he does is just simply moves in. And Lydia says, Paul, I'm so glad you're here. I want to share everything I have with you. Mi casa es su casa, my house is your house, Paul. Enjoy. And so now that was, that was one day. Then the next day, literally, he says, but I experienced being low. It literally means reduced to the point of humiliation. And not just physically understanding it, but being looked at like you're low. Not just being low, but being, having everybody look at He understood that. He experienced all things of an impoverished life. So one day in the penthouse, the other day in the doghouse, where now there's no house, no matching towels, no soaps, no mints on the pillow, just a tree, a sleeping bag, living on the, on the riverbank there. Now he's thinking, man, Lydia's house was, was so nice, and here I am now out in the cold. Or I, I talked about his bio there, and he's thinking, man, I, I really liked it. I liked where I was at. But how does his heart not become so enamored and intoxicated with the wonderful things of Lydia's home, and now he's out 
uh, like he's a homeless guy. And so, uh, uh, and so how, does he, how does his heart not get so enraptured with the wonderful things and, uh, and then not get overwhelmed and neutralized and ticked off about the absolute absence of wonderful things in his life and yet and still serve Christ with a contented heart? Talk about the secret of a contented heart. And yet, uh, to have your contentment calibrated by neither of the experience of low nor high. How is it that your heart is not going to be calibrated by one of those things? See, this is the challenge that we face in life. I faced a challenge. You faced a challenge. I can think of one time I was, I was flying back from Africa, and uh, I always get, you know, the least expensive ticket that I can get. And so this was like every other trip. And the, the, the flight attendant comes out to me and says, excuse me, sir. And I'm, I'm, uh, my, my feet are kicked out because I was by the, uh, the door there. And uh, she says, excuse me, sir, we need your seat. Do you think we could move you up? It's either business class or first class. I said, I think we could work that out. I think we could, <laughs> think we could do that. And so, so I remember getting up, and I'm walking past all cattle class, and then I'm walking by the other people. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is going to be great, you know, and had my big fluffy chair there and five-course meal and all the, you know, they keep serving you and everything. It was really, it was just a great experience. And then we hit the airport, and I had to go back. I had to go back to cattle class. And I remember, remember walking through, uh, like, the first class, thinking, man, that was, that was really nice, you know, and I and, uh, really enjoyed that a lot. And I was high, and now I'm having to go back to my normal crummy seat there. And so, but you have that, just a little illustration, but you have that in life there where how do you have a content heart, not only in business class or in first class, how do you have a content heart when you're in cattle class? And so J.B. Phillips puts it this way when he says in verse 13, I'm ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me, or I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, in this whole talk about contentment, Remember Jesus Christ. And so uh, I can do all things through Christ. Uh, now, people can fit in their own little things there. I can do all things through, what would you put there? What, what do people put there? I can do all things through alcohol. Gives me strength. I can do all things through drugs. Meth gives me strength. People actually believe that. Some think I just have to have another drink, hit, joint, whatever. I'll be good. I'll, I'll be strong. But on the other side of that is a whole other discovery. Paul recognized, I don't, I don't, God bless you. I don't have to have the kind of strength. I have to have God's strength to be content on my own. I can't be strong. I can't, I can't be high and low and have contentment without his strength. So this scripture is one of the most, most uh, poorly applied scriptures in all of the Bible. Because, uh, like, I watch MMA. I like MMA fighting and uh, going in the cage. I like it. And so uh, I used to wrestle. I just like it. And so it's a guy, one of the fighters is Philippians 4.13. Do all things through Christ. As if, as if that Christ is going to help you against that beast that wants to rip your head off. Like, that's not what it's talking about. Not like yeah, anything you need, like strength. Like I'm not going to study for the test. I'm going to because uh, uh, 
because God is going to give you strength to ace the test. I know he's going to give you strength to deal with the F that you got because you didn't study, but my ability to live the contented life, it's not by my own personal strength, Paul is saying here, but by Christ's power working in me and through me. And so uh, you can be content and live, watch, live, not intoxicated uh, by prosperity or overwhelmed by poverty because of what Christ, his strength within you. And so, uh, so anyway, so there it is. That's the secret. You talked about the secret to contentment, Christ. We talked about the setting. Now what we're going to talk about is the significance of contentment. So let me come finally to this point here, this, the, uh, uh, the significance of contentment. Number one is this. Christian contentment is independent of circumstances. You can think that it's all about your circumstances. You're happy and life is good. You can be content, but then when life's not good, you can't be content. No, that's not true. See, contentment, Christian contentment, really is independent. It's above circumstances. So I have learned in whatsoever state I am in to be content. And so secondly, let me, let me add on this, that we all know happiness depends on what happens. Contentment doesn't depend on what happens in our world or in your world, number two. Christian contentment, it's grounded in our union, in our relationship with Christ. Watch this. Philippians chapter 3, we looked at Paul said, Oh, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, being made uh, conformable unto his death. And then he unpacks that a little bit more. But that I might know Christ, and in the next chapter, uh, that I might know Christ, and knowing Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But first you need to know Christ. And then knowing him, I'll be able to do everything through him. So I want to know Christ, Paul said here. So, do, so my question is, do, do you know him? Do you know Christ? I'm not saying just have you met him or have you prayed a prayer or do you attend church on Sunday? And that's all good. And that's all great. But do you know him? Paul, when he uses the word know, is an intimate term. As a husband knows a wife. This is an intimacy of, of knowing him. He said, when you know him like that, then the next chapter, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, if I only knew how wonderful he is, if I only really believe that he is my all in all, that he is more precious than silver, more costly than gold, more beautiful than diamonds, and that nothing compares to him, now we're talking. If I really believe that, then it would radically transform me on my view of circumstances and the contentment of my heart. Number three, the more I know Jesus, the more contented I become. Christian contentment is the fruit of an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. Our contentment is the fruit of an ever-deepening, dynamic, ongoing uh, relationship with Christ. So you just, contentment just doesn't happen. It's like there's all these behind-the-scenes dynamic then which give life to a heart of contentment. And so uh, you are you by God's design. And when you stand in front of the mirror and you look at yourself, you're like, yeah, you know, I can fix X, Y, or Z, you know, I need some help. And man, I kind of feel like it, you know, whatever. And uh, then you stand up 
but you need to stand up and realize that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, uh, nice work, Heavenly Father. Like, nice work. And, uh, and you just, in all of your life, in every way, you're, you're drawing near to him. So to contend means um, not to be devoid of, of, of unpleasant circumstances or any of those things. But number four, Christian contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord, okay, and, and to be entirely at his disposal. That was, that summarized these four points. These summarized Paul's life. When they could speak of your life, you too will begin to experience contentment. The direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to him, to, to know him, and to be entirely at his disposal. So there are some keys, if you will, of the contented life, the secret of a contented life, the significance of a contented life. So I recognize that that was a lot to, to unpack in a short amount of time. And then you need to process those things and think them through how you're going to embrace them. Uh, but when you do, you'll begin to discover, your life will begin to discover, experience the contentment. I have learned, at whatever state I am in, to be content. And this is what I know. This is what I know. Of every single one of you, this is what I know. They're Christ followers. You were meant to be content. And you can be if you follow the scripture that we've talked about today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Heavenly Father, uh, uh, for your words, I pray that you would take them and drive them deep into our hearts and our minds. That you'd forgive us of our discontentedness with who we are, of what we have, our identity, and, and that you would shape us and, and equip us and train us afresh on learning how to be content. That our minds would be renewed in the scripture which tells us how to. Father, we would want that we would be stirred in our hearts to, to yearn the secret of contentment, that you are it, that I can do all things through Christ. I can be content through Christ. And that we want to say with the Apostle Paul, not that I've already attained, but we want to say that we want it, we want what you want for us every moment of every day. We want to be yielded to you, we want to be clay in the potter's hands, ready to do what his will commands, only to be what you want us to be every moment of every day. And may grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, rest upon us and move us and stir us toward the wonderful discovery of learning to be content. Pray that you would do this and you would do more. In Christ's name, amen.